And uh, let's thank the Lord for church tonight. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. I tell you what, if you, uh, if you weren't here last night, you missed a wonderful, wonderful time of fellowship and encouragement in the Lord and learning how that we as God's church can make a difference in this world. And uh, so that was wonderful last night, and then I'm glad to see everybody back tonight. I, I was driving here, and I thought, man, with this weather and this rain, uh, I don't know how many people will come. And, uh, you know, every preacher thinks like that, don't they? And, uh, and then you get here and you see a full uh, house and all the children and everybody in uh, for the Bible teaching hour. And it's just uh, it's so wonderful to know that people are committed to the cause of Christ. And I'm thankful that you are. Turn around and shake your neighbor's hand and uh, we'll get ready to, to go. everybody stand and take your Bible tonight and go to the New Testament to the book of Philippians. Uh, New Testament, Philippians chapter number two. And uh, preacher Malcolm is, I think he is in Ohio uh, preaching tonight. And uh, I tell you what, it's not every church that has a pastor that uh, folks from as far away as Ohio call and, and desire to have him come and be a part of their revival or conference or whatever it is and uh, so let's pray for him and be in prayer for him while you know while while the service is going on here and I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, to share with you Philippians 2 um, and I want to read in verse 25 the Bible says in Philippians 2 25 yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants or my needs, my desires. And this is the Apostle Paul writing this about this man. It says in verse 26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sit him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, Ye may rejoice, and that I may by the less uh, that I may may be the less sorrowful. 
Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I want to pray and then tonight we're going to talk about Epaphroditus, a leader who didn't make a name for himself. So tonight is going to be about, uh, about leadership and how that connects to each one of us in the house of the Lord and in the church that God has placed us in. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we love you. And I want to thank you again for the great congregation we have before us. Thank you, Lord, for a place that we want to come. Lord, I, I got up this morning thinking about church tonight. And not just because I get to, to speak, Lord, but because I love coming here. I love the fellowship. I love the excitement. I love the fact that it's centered around God's Word. And so, Lord, thank you for all this. And I pray tonight that you would just uh, use your Word to speak to our hearts, to give us something that we can take home and put to practice tomorrow and help us to live better more productive and fruitful lives for you. We love you. We thank you much. We owe you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. You can uh, can be seated. When I was uh, 15 years old, I, I, I did something that I said I would never do. I went to work at uh, Winn-Dixie Grocery Store down there in Fort Pierce, Florida, where I lived, and became a bag boy. I, I had, for two or three years leading up to that point, I had swore to my mom and my dad that I'll do anything for, uh, for money, but I'll, I won't be a bag boy. And, uh, well, when I turned 15, I, I had to eat my words because I couldn't get hired nowhere else, you know. And, uh, and I started this, my first real job with an uh, actual company making, I think it was $3.85 an hour. And so I worked there from the time I was 15, 16, 17, uh, about when I turned 18, I quit there for a little while and took a, uh, a job for about eight or nine months. Me and Pastor Malcolm's younger brother, Joe, he and I are the same age, me and him got a job at a power plant in Indiantown, Florida as laborers, and we made, uh, I think, $8 an hour. So I'm like, well... You know, three eighty-five, four bucks, eight. Yeah, I quit. You know, and I went to work at this, as a general laborer, but that only lasted through the uh, uh, seven or eight months, and we got laid off. And so I went back to work at the grocery store. And when I went back to work there, I was eighteen or uh, yeah, eighteen, and I I got pretty serious about it. And I began to see, well, man, if I'm going to be here, and and earning a paycheck and all this, I may as well put some effort into this. And so it wasn't long, about a year after I got back, that they needed a new nighttime stock crew manager. And they always, at that company, they loved to promote, uh, you know, people that, that were young and energetic and, and with the hopes of bringing them up through the ranks. And that's where they would get their assistant store managers and store managers and and district managers and all that from. Well, so I heard they was wanting to hire a new manager, a new uh, assistant store manager. 
uh, stock crew manager. It was called the third man is what they called you. And, and so I, I put in for it. I told the boss, I said, I, I want one of those blue vests. And you, you could tell the assistant managers because they wore these blue, these awful looking blue vests. Everybody else just wore like a shirt and tie or whatever. But if you were a manager, even a junior assistant manager, which is what I was shooting for, you got to wear that blue vest that said assistant manager. And I thought, man, that's what I want to be. And so, you know, uh, I applied for it and let it be known. I started working real hard. Well, lo and behold, when it came time to do the promotion or fill the position, they called on me. And so here I am, 18 years old. And I am the uh, junior assistant manager in charge of the stop crew that works the third shift overnight. And uh, the average age of the guys on my stop crew, the average age was like 41. And I don't have to tell you how well this adventure went over for me or them. Um, I thought that, man, when I put on that blue vest, I just thought it was going to be like magic. I thought for sure all them guys would do everything I asked of them. I thought that they would look at me as the young, inspired, uh, new leader and manager of this team. Man, didn't none of them listen to me. They called me kid and said, you just go sit in the office, we'll take care of this. And they just wanted me out of their hair. They didn't want to listen to a thing that I had to say. And, uh, and, and the, the basic reason was, I had no clue what I was doing. And so at the age of 18, as a junior assistant manager at Winn-Dixie in, uh, in Lakewood Park, Florida, I learned a very valuable lesson. And here's what I learned. I learned that having a position does not make you a leader. Amen goes right there. I learned that just because you wear the uniform or have on the vest that says manager, that really don't mean a hill of beans to the people that you are managing or trying to lead. And so that was my first exposure to being a leader, and it wasn't very good. Um, and thank God that I have learned some things since then. But do you know that in our text tonight, this this Christian, this layman, this person, Epaphroditus, he was actually the right kind of leader. Now, you won't find his name. I don't think you'll find his name anywhere else in the Bible. Maybe one other place. He's not one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't somebody that, that everybody in the church would look to in awe. He, he wasn't a big-time pastor. He wasn't a big-time missionary. He wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't have, uh, uh, you know, 10,000 people to like his Facebook page. He was kind of an obscure person, not very well-known. But it's, it, as we read through these verses and dive into these verses, we're going to find out that he was a real leader. And he made a difference. You know, a lot of people are trying to make a name for themselves. But God is looking for people that will make a difference for others. A lot of people are trying to be what they 
think is successful. This man Epaphroditus just lived every day to bring God glory, to help someone in need, and to serve his preacher, the Apostle Paul. And God called him a special individual. Matter of fact, he said to the, uh, uh, Paul said to the church at Philippi, hold such in reputation. That means you need to think highly of this fella because he's special in my eyes. Now, here's what I want to say. Everybody in this room tonight, me, you, uh, the men that run the cameras, the, the men in the parking lot, uh, the ladies and in, in, in gentlemen that work in the, in the nursery or the children's ministry, everybody that's a part of the Temple Baptist Church family needs to have some of the characteristics that Epaphroditus had. You say, well, uh, I don't necessarily, I'm not aspiring to be a leader. Listen, can I say this? God wants you and needs you to have the mindset that Epaphroditus had and to step up and be a leader. You say, well, who am I going to lead? Well, uh, mother, you're leading your children. Husband, you're leading your children and you're leading your family. Uh, if you're a small group leader, you're, you're leading those 8 or 10 or 12 uh, or so people in your small group. If you work with the, uh, with the Awanas, uh, you work with the Cubbies, you work with TSM, anybody you work with, you're leading them. What is leadership? John Maxwell said, uh, uh, gave a one-word definition for leadership that I think is one of the best definitions there's ever been. He said, leadership is influence. And everybody in this room tonight has influence over somebody. The question is, are we using that influence to bring glory to God and edify the people that we're influencing? Or are we lackadaisical with that influence and just kind of trying to get what we can get out of life and, and just kind of float by? I want to say that God is looking... For leaders, everything rises and falls on leadership. God's call to be a servant in the church is really God's call to be a leader. Do you realize that if you hold the door and greet people on Sunday at any of our three services, by being a greeter at that door, you're being a leader. You're leading people. From, uh, from their car right into the door. That smile that the greeters wear, that's a smile that, that tells the people that are walking in for the very first time that, hey, this, is a, this must be a friendly place. Look, she opened the door and he had a big smile on. So do you see how your influence is causing you to be in a leadership position? There's people in this room you've never thought of yourself as a leader. Matter of fact, you've said, I want to be everything but a leader. And I have felt that way before too. But here's the thing. If we're going to have influence over people, then we can't shirk our responsibility. God has put you here to help build this church. More importantly than that, God has put you on earth to help build his kingdom. Amen. Are y'all with me tonight? Say amen. amen. All right, praise God. Uh, every one of us can learn 
to lead effectively if we'll adopt the following character traits that were possessed by Epaphroditus. I want to give you some character traits. Number one, Epaphroditus was a people lover. He loved people. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul called him a minister. You say, well, where do you get that you think he was a people lover? Why, why do you say he loved people? Well, the Bible tells us in verses 25 and verse 26 that he, he felt distressed that the Philippians might worry about him when he became sick. In this story, Paul says that he was sick Close to death. That's what the words nigh unto death. It means close to death's door. And in the last uh, verse, I think it is, it says that uh, in verse 30, for the work of the Lord, for the work of Christ, he was close unto death. So it's almost like the picture of somebody who was working themselves to the bone, who was serving and doing everything they could to love people. But you see, when Epaphroditus heard that the Philippians knew that he was sick, he was more worried about them not being worried about him than he was about worrying about himself. I can't say that again, so don't ask me to. Say amen. But you know, if this story was written about me and I was close to death, I wouldn't be thinking about all y'all. I'd be thinking, oh my dear God, somebody get me, get me a pella, get me to the hospital, get me some morphine, get me, get me something. I mean, my wife says I'm the world's biggest baby when I get sick, and I say, Amen. Comfort me. I don't like being sick. It just it don't jive well with, with who I am. But here's a guy that was more worried about them than he was himself. In other words, he Loved people. Let me ask you this. What do you think about other people? I, I know so many folks that they honestly have zero desire to be around others. They're like, man, if I could spend my whole life and just not see nobody, life would be good. And I know how you feel. Sometimes I get that way. But, but guess what? That's not how God wants us to live our life. Listen, if he loves the world enough to give himself and, and to give his only begotten son to be the, 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 the bearer of sin for all the world, and if God has commanded the church to go ye therefore unto all nations and teach them the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. If God's told us to do all that, can I let you in on this? We're going to have to kind of come to terms with God wants us to interact with people. Matter of fact, God's asking you to love people. And for some of us, that's a big thing for God to ask. You're like, well, why in the world would God let, ask me to do that? And here's the answer. Because as a Christian, you and I are to be a reflection of God. He is conforming us 
to the image of his dear son. And if we're supposed to look like Jesus on earth, can I tell you what? He, Jesus loved people. You know why? I, uh, well, not why. I have no idea why except God's blessings. But I know this. Uh, one reason that Temple has experienced such wonderful growth over the last few years is because there's folks that come to church here every week that actually care about other people. There, there's those of you that you will break your neck to get to shake a first-time attender's hand before somebody else does. There's those of you that you want to be the one to hold the door when somebody's coming in. I think the other day I, I saw two of the parking lot guys fist fighting out there over who got to direct somebody into the, to, to the best spot. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they were fighting or not. But, but, but we have a church full of people who are eager to serve and eager to give and eager to love and eager to share and eager to show the love of God through ourselves. And I want to tell you something, that's what it's going to take. How do we become a people lover? Well, let me give you three things to think about. Number one, we got to consider the needs of others. Right here in our same chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I believe last night was so good for, for, for our church because we took a couple hours and we focused on the needs of other people. Amen? We focused on the needs of, of, uh, of innocent people, of victims, of this uh, awful epidemic that's called sex trafficking. Uh, many people gave in the offering. We raised a good amount of money uh, to give to an organization that's doing all they can do to make a difference in the darkness that is sex trafficking. And they're trying to shine the light of God into that dark world. That's considering the needs of other people. And here's the key. When we begin to step out of our shell, and when we begin to actually think about what would the Lord do for that person in that situation, uh, would, would, would the Lord care more uh, you know, about comforting himself or maybe helping his brother out? When we begin to think and put those thoughts into action and do uh, practical acts of compassion... You know what that does? That breeds the desire to help someone else. If you tell me, well, Brother Travis, I just, I just don't have any desire to help nobody. What you might be saying is, I, 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 just, you know, I just don't do that, and therefore I'm reaping what I sow. I've been lackadaisical, I've turned the other way, and so really my attitude is, is nonchalant because I've never put nothing into doing that. Does that make sense? You know, when, when I started ministering to the homeless people when, in like 1996, I had no idea what I was getting into, and I still don't. Say amen right there. But I, I enjoyed trying to figure it out. But here's the key. You begin to serve. You begin to love people. You begin to get engaged with people that are in great need. 
And one thing it'll do for you, it'll light a fire that the devil has a hard time putting out. Consider the needs of others. Number two, consider the neglect of others. You know what we need to thank on Sunday morning at church here at Temple? When we see a first-time attender or, or a 20-year attender, we need to think like this. You know, if I don't greet them and shake their hand, who, who's gonna? We need to, we, we, we need to think, if I don't care for them, who's gonna? If I don't make them feel at home here today, well, who's, who's going to do that? If I don't answer their question, well, I wonder if anybody will. You see what I'm saying? If you love people, you'll look for them. You'll hone in on them like you got sonar or radar. And all of a sudden, when you begin to, 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 to act like the Lord and to be the Lord's feet and to be the Lord's mouthpiece and to be the Lord's hands and you begin to love and give and go and show compassion, you'll find a whole new joy that you might not have even knew was there. And it's called being a people lover. And can I say this? Position does not produce leadership. I believe love produces leadership. One of the very first things they taught me when I went to Bible college is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And buddy, that is very, very true. You don't have to have a college degree to be a leader. If the people that are following you know that you care something about them, if they know that you're interested in their well-being, if they know that you have their best interest at heart, they'll follow you even if they've got 20 more years of education than you do because they just want their leader to care about them. To care about them. So we need to consider the needs of others the neglect of others, and y'all don't have this on the screen because this is a uh, one that's written in. We need to consider the necessity of others. Can I tell you this? We've got a big job to do. We've got a whole city and county we need to win to Jesus. Say amen. We've got a state that we need to win to Jesus. We've got a country and a world. And, and listen, until the last one has heard the good news, our job isn't finished Yet, we've got a big job to do here at Temple, and it's for the Lord. But here's the thing. It's impossible to do that job alone. You may think, well, man, we've got a good many of people coming to Temple. 15, 16, 1,700 on a regular basis. Boy, we've arrived. Listen, we ain't even started. We can't do this alone. We need each other. When I give this sermon sometimes, one of the points I make right there, I say this. I say that family churches die. They just do. Listen, the, the Lord has called us to build His family. Not just crawl off somewhere in a corner with our family and, 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 and call it church. Listen, if we're not welcoming all races, 
then, then, then we're not welcoming anybody. If we're not welcoming people that are different from us, then we're not loving people. If we're not welcoming uh, uh, people to come in here and sit down and hear the gospel and have a chance at God doing something great in their life in this place, then we can't say we're loving people. We need to reach, we need to go, we need to love. You know, Jesus loved people, didn't he? How about the woman at the well? Boy, he took his time. He dealt with her problem. He dealt with her issues, and he loved her. Paul loved people. He was more interested in winning the Philippian jailer to the Lord than he was escaping from prison. Remember that in Acts 16, I think there around verse 25? Peter, Andrew, James, and John all loved people. How do you know that? Well, they forsook their livelihood, which was fishing, to become fishers of men. They joined the Lord's army. So, if we want to be a leader in the church, it's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about, number one, being a people lover. Let me ask you this tonight. Do you love people? Number two, not only was he a people lover, but Epaphroditus, he was a risk taker. A risk taker. I know that because Paul called him a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. Um, and he'd worked so hard for Jesus, he was almost dead. He was sick. I was watching a couple days ago, I was watching this show called Gator Boys. Y'all ever seen that? This nut that gets a snorkel and goes swimming in the canals for gators? Let me tell y'all something. I have captured my fair share of gators, but I'm not, well, I shoot them, then jump in after them. I ain't fixing jumping after them w without having shot them. This dude's crazy, but I was watching this episode. I love to watch it. And they had a young man that I can't remember if he's in the Army or the Marines, but he had lost both of his legs, completely amputated, and I think his left arm. And uh, triple amputee, I think, is, is what they, how they described it. And he stepped on an IED in Afghanistan, an improvised explosive device. And he almost died, but his fellow soldiers tended to him, and, and they saved his life. And now, uh, this soldier, he, he's doing many things, you know, uh, and he wanted to wrestle an alligator. And I had to leave before I watched him wrestle it. And I don't know how that worked out, but evidently he did. But this guy and all of our soldiers, they're risk takers. You don't fly to Afghanistan or Iraq and get off of the plane and and go do tours of duty without having some bravery and, 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 and being willing to take some risk. And by the way, side note, we better thank God we still have men and women that are willing to do that. Say amen right there. When I, I was talking to Preacher Malcolm about uh, some something about either, it wasn't about this sermon, but it was about a, a risk I was fixing to take in our ministry. Uh, we were going to buy something or do, I, I can't even remember. But Preacher Malcolm gave me some of the biggest 
words of wisdom I've ever heard. He said, well, he said, you know, the turtle never gets nowhere until he sticks his neck out. <laughs> I said, thank you, wise one. <laughs> but, but really, that advice was just what I needed to hear. He, and what he was saying was, hey, sometimes you just got to take a chance. Sometimes you got to take a risk. Now, there's somebody sitting in here tonight, and you're like, hey, I like your point about loving people and all that, but you don't know, young man, I've been burnt. Let me ask you this. You think it's God's will for you to give up and become a hermit and just tend to yourself and your family and not try to share his glory with others? You know somebody else that was burnt and taken advantage of pretty bad one day? Yeah, you said it, Jesus. So listen, the Lord wants us to be willing to take a risk. If you think all this got here uh, with complete and total confidence, you got another thought coming. Preacher Malcolm and, and Dustin and, and the folks that work on the staff are some of the most confident people I've ever met, met and I love confidence. Amen right there. But I guarantee you, that when they were building this auditorium, there was times when Brother Malcolm said, Lord, I believe it's your will, but, but I hope I'm right. Lord, I, Lord, the tithing's looking pretty good, but Lord, are you going to allow it to keep coming in like it has? Lord, the concrete, you saw how much it cost. Now listen, what if he hadn't have been willing to take a risk for God? There wouldn't be a seat for all of us. There wouldn't be people to welcome us at the, at the fancy glass doors because they wouldn't be there. He was a risk taker. Uh, how do you take a risk for God? How do you get that mindset? Well, number one, we've got to put our cause above our life. Put your cause above your life. And by the way... Our cause is Jesus Christ. There's many secondary causes. Building a church, uh, reaching the homeless, helping the sex traffic victims be rescued from their slavery. But, but, but all of those fall under the umbrella is our cause is to bring glory to God. And can I say this? That's not going to happen if we don't put Jesus Above our very self. What are you talking about? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And he was talking about food and clothing and, and these type of things. But you know what most of us are guilty of? Most of us seek these things, and we hope that somehow... At the end, the kingdom of God will be kind of tacked on. But can I tell you this? If we live our life and spend our years seeking all these things in the world, God's not going to come at the end and say, Oh, here's all my righteousness and here's all my joy and here's all my everything that you would have got if you'd have really served me all them years. No, it doesn't work like that. 
Everything in the Lord's economy is upside down and backwards from what everything that the world teaches us. So that's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all this stuff, God will just take care of it. But you've got to have an adventurous spirit to live like that. It's called faith. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not toward thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't even make good sense. How can you be dead but alive? You see, in the Lord's uh, economy, we can't really live until we die. Amen. I wish I had the time to go into that and develop that, but we'll just leave that as it is. Put your cause above your life. Number two, let me say this. A true leader will make personal sacrifices. America is full of people who are entrepreneurs. They start their own companies. They start their own businesses. They, and, and by the way, probably that's probably what is shouldering our economy and in and, and our country right now is the small businessmen and women that go out there, they take chances, they take risks, they, they build their small companies, they hire people in their communities. And these people... Saved or lost, whatever. The, the, one thing about them, they always make sacrifices. Anybody in here ever owned your own business? Did you ever sacrifice anything to make it happen? You just shake your head. Yes, you did. You probably lost money. <laughs> you you pro it probably cost you a lot just to keep the doors open. It may, it may be costing you something right now just to be working your crew or just whatever it is. But you have sacrificed personally to make that happen. And you know what? If we think that we're going to come to church and be a part of a church family without any sacrifices to make it happen, we, we, we got a different thing coming. I knew that would go over real good. <laughs> I can guarantee you this. I can guarantee you, Brother Malcolm makes way more personal sacrifices than any of us will ever know or see. Well, I don't know about that. We pay him real good, you know. We pay his gas and all that. Yeah, but didn't he, you know, well, never mind. Let me just say this. If we're going to be a leader, we got to make sacrifices. I think God tonight might be looking for that one that would say, you know what, instead of getting a new car this year, Maybe I'll just give some of that money to the Faith in Action program. Maybe I'll get a maybe maybe I'll put off getting that new car. There ain't nothing wrong with mine anyway. It'll last me forever. I just want a new one. But maybe I'll put that off in order to help build the new church facility. Where's them kind of people? Where's the person that that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, but lives off of sixty? So that they can give 40 to the cause of world missions. 
my math right back there? Amen. That's America. What I'm saying is, in America and in our churches, we love to talk about how he gave his life for mine. Woo! He went all the way. Yay! But, but when the Lord asks us, how about now you give your life for mine? Now I'm calling you to go all the way for me. You see, when it's us talking about what he did for us, man, it's shouting time. But when it's God asking us to sacrifice for him, it's, oh, man, let me pray about that. I'm glad. I'm glad that in the prayer meeting that that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane with God the Father, I'm glad he prayed this. He prayed about it, but this is what he prayed. Not my will, but thine be done. And boy, we do real good when we pray about these things and say, God, you know what I want, but not my will. Thine be done. Let me say this. He was a risk taker. Put your cause above your life. A true leader will make personal sacrifices. And a leader must be willing to give up in order to go up. You know, in the business world, it seems like you get success by how many heads you step on. In God's world, you get success by how many people you serve. You know, most people think, well, man, I need a promotion. Let me tell the boss man what, what, what he's been doing on the break. I need, I need to get that promotion. I got to fight for it. I, I got I to make something up about him, get him out of the way. So I'll be the shoe-in. But you see, it just don't work with the Lord. Because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, looking at our activities. If we're trying to be promoted and we despise our co-worker in order to get that promotion, the co-worker may never know. The boss may never know. But your boss does. The Lord knows. The Bible says that that the word of God is a discerner between the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Now, if if the Bible is that, don't you know Jesus is? So, you know the story of the rich young ruler in the Bible? This guy that came to the Lord and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, Go sell everything you got. No, he said, keep his, your, the commandments and all this. And he went through them. He said, I've, I've not stole and lied and all this. He said, I've kept all those commandments from my youth. I'm a good guy, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. You go sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. You'll find treasure in heaven. The Bible says that uh, the rich young ruler, he must have thought about it. He must have contemplated And the Bible says this. It says, he went away sorrowful. Then it says, for he had great possessions. 
You see, he, here's a young man. He wanted to go up, but he was unwilling to give up. So this young man, he didn't get no promotion. He didn't get to enter into the joy of the Lord. And here's the deal. He kept his stuff, but he could have had a Savior. He kept his possessions, but he could have had, he could have possessed eternal life. Can I ask you this? What is it keeping you away from being the, the person that God has called you to be? The Bible asks it like this. What will a man give? In exchange for his soul. And I tell you something, I've been a lot of places and seen a lot of stuff, and I ain't seen nothing yet that my soul is worth exchanging for. Amen goes right there. Um, he must be a risk taker. When's the last time you took a risk for the Lord? What do you mean? Okay, let's say you 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 hate talking to people, you're shy. Well, Maybe you need to sign up for a first impression. Shake somebody's hand. That might be taking a risk for you. Uh, maybe you're not in a small group. Because you just ain't fixing to give no prayer requests in front of some strangers. Well, let me say this. You go to group a good few weeks in a row and be faithful and they won't be strangers no more, number one. Uh, number two... Take a chance. Well, I went to one and it just, we didn't jive. Really? You went to one? What a risk. Maybe, maybe take a risk for about six months. See how it works out. Amen. Take a chance. Take a risk. Be the leader that God wants you to be. You see, you may be here right now and you might be like, I ain't even, I don't, I'm scared to even be in a group. But listen to this. If you take a chance, and you join one, and you be faithful, and you try, you, you could be the next group leader by next year. How else is our church going to grow? You tell me. We're not supposed to be going to the neighboring churches hunting for new members. That ain't right. That ain't what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be reaching the lost, growing ourselves in the Lord, becoming more mature each week for God and developing ourselves and our walk with God so that a year from now, it ain't the same person sitting in your chair. It's a more spiritually mature person that's willing to step out a little more and reach a little more and share a little more and do a little more and give a little more. Amen? All right, let me get off of that. He was a risk taker. He was a people lover. Number three, Epaphroditus, this guy, he was a tireless worker. Most folks, when they think about the leader, they, 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 they think, man, I want to be the leader so I can sit in my desk and put my feet up and drink coffee. Well, I'm not going to preach against drinking coffee because I, I like that. Amen. But, but a desk and even your name on a wooden plaque engraved in gold, fake gold, that don't make you a leader. It don't, and by the way, if you if you are a leader and that's what you think leadership is, you've got it all wrong. 
I guarantee you this, if you're the manager or the leader and you've got a bunch of people underneath you and, and it takes them doing a bunch of hard work to make the job happen, but you don't pitch in every once in a while and sweep the floor or mop the floor or clean the toilet or plunge it or, or help out or show them that you uh, give as much effort as they do, before long, you're not going to be getting a whole lot of work out of them. You know why? Because they don't see a lot out of you. Amen. He was a tireless worker. How do I know that? Well, Paul called him in these verses. He said Epaphroditus was a companion in labor. You know what we need here around Temple? We, we need, and I don't know why I'm talking so much about the church, but I guess it's what God's given me. We need a bunch of companions in labor. That's what Preacher Malcolm needs. That's what Brother Dustin needs. That's what Miss Belisa needs. That's what Brother Doyle needs. That's what Brother Kendrick needs down there in TSM and the children's ministry. They need a bunch of companions in labor. They need people that will get right there with them and go to work for God and labor, not expecting anything in return, not expecting a position, not expecting pay, not expecting all this stuff but just because you want to be a worker for God. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the illness that Epaphroditus had. What we do know is that it was tied to his work. A tireless worker must be committed. A tireless worker must be careful. Careful to watch your priorities. Uh, the Bible does say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus told Martha that she was troubled and cumbered about many things. But Mary had chosen that good part. So don't be deceived into thinking that, that serving at the church or in your ministry is the key. That's not the key. The key is being in love with Jesus and walking with him so closely in a personal relationship every day that the natural outflow is to serve the community where God has put you. Amen. So we must be committed, but we must be careful. And we must be concentrated. Do a couple things very well instead of a dozen things halfway. Let me ask you this. Can your preacher describe you as a companion in labor? Can he describe you as somebody that he would feel comfortable picking up the phone and calling on you to help him out? This morning I had to move the, uh, the mobile kitchen. That big white uh, trailer that sits out here, that's our mobile kitchen. It belongs to Unsheltered International and it's a full, complete commercial kitchen in there. And it was a gift to our ministry, and we used it. We took it to, uh, to uh, uh, Moore, Oklahoma, and served 7,750 meals out of that thing. Isn't that cool? Well, today we had to move it. We had to, because uh, they're putting in a new gas line or something. And I got out there, and I was going to do it, and the, the jack broke on it. And, and it was, you know, it, now it was down on the ground. I couldn't do it by myself. So I thought, I need help. Who do I, and immediately, Kenny Brown came to my, to my mind. He's sitting right here. He, he hauls it for us. He took it out to Oklahoma for us, and he helps us in our ministry. And, uh, and here's the deal. Kenny, you know why you came to my mind? Because I knew you would. There was probably 
five dozen people I could have called. But I, I, I knew if I called Brother Kenny, if it was anywhere within his power, he would. So what, what do people think about you? Would you be the first one to call if somebody was in trouble? If somebody was in need? Are you a worker for the Lord? Do people know you as that? Man, a church that has a bunch of people that are eager and willing to serve God and serve others is a force that Jesus said, listen, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Let me give the very last characteristic. Epaphroditus was also a servant leader. Paul called him a messenger of the church. Matter of fact, Paul tells the church to give him a hero's welcome in verse 25 and 29. You see, he both led and served as he became a spokesman for the church. You see, true leaders in the church are not people that tell everybody else what to do. They're people that are busy doing things for God, and they say, hey, can you come with me? I need, we, can you come with me? Can you come? They're servant leaders. In other words, they lead while they serve. They lead while they serve. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Some of us probably need to humble ourselves. Say, well, what's the first thing that a leader needs to do? Get real low. Humble ourselves. Because that's where Jesus says a real leader goes to work. We need to look for ways to serve. We need to create ways to serve. And we need to not expect to be served. I remember this preacher friend I got. He's not really a friend, just an acquaintance. He taught some of our Bible college classes and preached in the chapel. He's from Savannah, and he said that there was some family that didn't even go to their church. But they called his church and asked if they could have a funeral service there. And could he do the funeral? No, no, no. It, they, they were doing the funeral just at the graveside. Could they use their church fellowship hall to gather the family afterwards? And he said, well, you know what? You sure can. And they, the, they opened up the, the, uh, the gym or whatever, the fellowship hall, and this family came. This family didn't even go to their church. Didn't even go to church at all, I don't think. And so the pastor told this story. He said he decided that he was going to serve that day. So he said he got some other people from the church, and they put on aprons. They got pitchers and filled them some up with water and some up with iced tea. And while the family was sitting around after the funeral and just kind of eating and talking and fellowshipping, the pastor and a couple others went around and spoke to people and 
filled people's tea glasses up and they just waited on the tables. And he said that uh, they didn't know he was the pastor. And, uh, and they said that, he said that he missed one lady's glass at this table. And she, not rude or nothing, but she just said, excuse me. He said when she did that, the first thing he saw, thought was to himself was, woman, who do you think I am? I'm the pastor of this place. Don't be excusing me. I'm doing this out of the kindness of my... And as soon as he began to think that, he said the Lord spoke to him. And he said this is what God said to him. God said the real test of being a servant is how you react when you're treated like one. And boy, he told us that story. And it just changed my life. So listen, as you serve God here at Temple or on your job or where, where, hopefully wherever you are at any given time, be a servant leader. Be a risk taker. Be a tireless worker. Be a people lover. And if someone treats you like a servant, just smile real big because that's what you're trying to be. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord. God, thank you for being with me tonight while I taught this lesson. Uh, God, because uh, none of these, uh, they just don't come out well if you don't help us and anoint us. And God, I know that I'll have to live uh, what I've been standing up here talking about. So Lord, I pray that you'd help me. And I pray you'd use us all for the glory of God. I want to thank you, Lord, that I, I, I believe we've got a church full of followers, not full of fans. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you'd, you'd bless the preacher as he's uh, preaching out of state tonight and uh, probably tomorrow night. I pray you just fill him with the Holy Spirit. Fill him, Lord, with the goodness of God and use him for your glory. Lord, I pray you bless all of our families and uh, and I just pray you meet every need. I pray you bless Brother Greg and uh, Chris and the other three uh, men that are riding the bicycles tonight uh, to raise awareness. I pray you just keep the rain away from them, keep the cold off of them, keep their muscles uh, going and in good shape and give them energy and longevity and everything they need, Lord, as they accomplish their trip. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this night. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, and good night, and thank you for being here. Amen.